Hey, Jason, did I tell you that Carr had its AS9100 Stage 1 audit last week? Yeah, you've been talking about that a little bit. Oh my God, it went super smooth. You know, we run ProShop ERP and our complete QMS is integrated into it. Well, that's one of the great features of ProShop. I'm telling you, we had a virtual audit. Well, you know, everything's virtual nowadays. Everything's virtual. We had a virtual audit, was able to share our screen with the auditor and all the information he requested was right there digitally. We were able to download certain reports right on the fly and email to him in real time. Great. Yeah, fabulous. You know, it truly was a pleasure to have an audit without all those binders and the ability to have it done remotely in real time was just incredible. You know, our stage two is coming up in late February, so wish me well. Yeah, I'm sure you'll do great. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Confident. It will be a seamless audit. And you know, I just could not be happier that I chose ProShop and implemented my QMS into it. It's one of the best things I've done for my business. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you're connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Golner. Hello, Metalworking Nation. How are you Welcome doing, buddy? to Making Chips. I'm doing good, man. Good. So is, is manufacturing starting to heat up for you? Oh, yeah. It's a really good time. Like if somebody I, turned the spigot back on. Yeah. If I think about how I felt at this time last year, it was not good. Yeah. You wanted to cry. I was trying to figure out how to like rebuild my daughter's bedroom into an office mm-hmm. and our sales were tanking. Oh, yeah. And, and you were thinking about maybe going back to being a starving artist. <laughs> I was You're like, about, how can I sell my paintings on the street? Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, uh, we're doing really, really good. Yeah. Things so. are starting to heat up for us as well. So it's good. And, and one of the things that I see happening in the future is that manufacturing leaders may need to learn how to say no more effectively to opportunities. Yeah. And that's what, one of the things that I want to talk about today. Now that we have so many of them, right? Exactly. So one of the things that happened to me, actually, which was, it was a little counter to what you were experiencing during the pandemic, but I actually... So my, my wife's company, Black Industrial and Safety Supply, they started to get really busy with inquiries for N95 masks and because they sell a lot of them already. And I started... I like kind of shifted over to helping her a little bit and stuff like that. And I actually maybe took it a little too far and... My wife very eloquently communicated to me that maybe I was starting to get a little bit greedy. Mm. And I also, through conversations with my pastor, Ty, who I, I talk to all the time, you know, he kind of confirmed that maybe I didn't have my priorities straight and I needed to be more content and not be so aggressively going after something that maybe wasn't the best thing for me. And I think that if I would have known some tools for how to say no to things, I, I maybe could have made some better decisions. Yeah, I get that. I'm sorry to hear that your wife and your pastor think you're greedy. Well, it wasn't <laughs> that they think I'm greedy. It's just, you know, maybe there was some, you know, some of that fruit that was coming out of me that, you know, wasn't wasn't the best. I'm just you know? messing with you. I know. It's okay. I mean, you know, we're all on a journey in life and, you know, sometimes you need to be corrected. Exactly. And, you know, And we're about 
growth, right? So that's what we're about. And we have to balance that with being content with what we have. And there, it's not always easy to walk that tightrope. It's not easy to walk that tightrope. Absolutely. But there are some ways that you can do that. And I've got I've got two great... Ma- I'm not going to ask you what, what's great going on in your business because I actually have two manufacturing articles that I want to talk about today. So if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that part. It's not a problem. Good. So the first article is from uh, CNBC, and the title of the article is Reddit founder Alexis Ohanian on what wife Serena Williams taught him about sustained greatness. Now, one of the things that I like about this is it kind of goes along with what we just discussed, which was, I didn't even know, I mean, I, I, I'm a big tennis fan, so, you know, I'm not into watching football and baseball and all the other, like, kind of common, or basketball and all the common sports, like, right now, March Madness is going on, I you know, don't really have much of a clue about that. But what I do really enjoy is tennis. And and Serena Williams is one of the greatest of all times. And apparently her husband is the founder of Reddit. And I guess he was going through a period of time where he was really putting his nose to the grind. And I guess, for lack of a better word, maybe being greedy and just working, you know, too many, too many hours. And him and his wife were having a conversation and she prompted him to take a better look at his work-life balance. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote the article. She was like, you work more than I do. And he, what he said was at first I was so flattered. I was like, wow, thank you so much. But then she told him it wasn't a compliment, you know, kind of like the conversation that my, my wife was having with me. So so she's the best in the world at her craft. And he's like, Oh, I work more than you. This is exactly. And so he thought he was the best, but she's like, no, that's not what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. So what, um, Serena Williams explained is it's not actually the way to sustain greatness because especially as an athlete, you have to be spending as much time on recovering and regrouping as you do working, training, and practicing. Otherwise, you can't be at your best for a long time. So what she's trying to say is, is if she was pounding the tennis court all the time and not letting her body recover, she wouldn't be able to sustain the greatness that she sustained. And I know as a as a tennis player, it really wrecked my knees. And so like you need to have that recovery time. Sure. And I think that that same thing goes for manufacturing leaders because if we use our brains and that's like the muscle that we're working most of the time and our mouths, I guess you would say. And if we don't- Especially you and Jim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if we don't give that a rest and, you know, and I know I've I've suffered from this, and I know Nick, you probably suffer this uh, as well. And I talk to other manufacturing leaders that do. Your brain ends up working overtime, even when you're supposed to be sleeping, and that's not good for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been pretty open. I think I even talked about it on the show, but I had like clinical burnout at one point in my life where after enough overtime, it's like, okay, now we quit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And your body starts reacting. Yeah. I got, I went through like a depression season, which was like really ugly. Yeah. 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 I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's not good. It's not good. So So I have to remember to chill out, smell the roses. Exactly. So for all the, all the men out there, you know, you might want to seek some advice from, from your wives. Now, the next article is from the wall street journal. And this article says, turbocharged economy leaves factories struggling to deliver goods that shoppers want. And the subtitle says, some businesses worry that a further surge in demand led by the U.S. could exasperate supply chain disruptions. So this is, you know, kind of like what we're going through right now is, is everybody scrambling because everybody is all of a sudden getting busy. And that in and of itself is going to cause some problems. And we need to be very aware of that. And I think when, you know, you're starting to see these articles in the Wall Street Journal, it's, you know, it's it's a real thing. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy the juxtaposition of what happened to people being depressed and anxious 
because they couldn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with being like stay at home, pandemic, whatever. And now it's like, okay, we got to make up for all that lost time. And they're going to overwork themselves in many cases and maybe end up with the same result. Stressed, anxious, depressed. So help me, psychologist. Make sure I don't do that. Well, what we're going to talk about is we're just going to talk about a couple filters that you can put your decisions through as far as when to say no to an opportunity. So the first one, are you ready? Yes. Okay. The first one is it doesn't fit into your vision for the future. Now, before you could put it through this filter, you have to actually define a vision for the future. So what I would recommend is, you know, vision is not just about this, you know, one sentence that you come up with that you post on your wall. Like come up with a vision that describes who your team is. Okay. Who your clients are, the products that you sell. You know, it could even be the way you communicate with each other or the office that you reside in. Just like, you know, what is it all about? your vision and the direction you're going into, what, why you're doing what you're doing, like mm-hmm. the reason why that's impactful for your team. But it's got to be a vision not only for that's not just client focused, but also, you know, your team focused. Sure. And you need to understand, you need to understand this because you're going to be presented opportunities that maybe doesn't fit, you know? Sure. So as an example, if your vision for the future is to be like a, a Swiss house, you know, and you're presented with work that doesn't fit within that context, you need to really say, you know, is our vision for the future diversifying ourselves in this other machine tool type or do we stick to Swiss? Sure. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, we don't have this expertise. If you want to adopt that expertise, that's fine. Go ahead with it. But make sure it's part of your vision. Make sure you're not just going after something just because the opportunity presents itself to you. And when you're deliberate about that, it you get the results that you're looking for. But I have an example where our vision was different 10 years ago than it is right now. And, and vision needs to be recalibrated. Because I remember we were kind of, we did we built custom fixtures. We had some of our own work holding components. And then we built a lot of tombstones. And we were sitting there at, around a table with a, our leadership team. And we said, hey, this year we're going to have a, we're going to separate work holding. We're going to really push on this Amrock brand. And we're going to decide to be in a category, not all three categories. And we wanted to be the largest producer of tombstones at the time. And so like, that show, the IMTS show, we only p- did tombstones. We didn't like put a bunch of fixtures on them or it was just all about the tombstones. Well, then my vision's like the opposite of that now. Now it's all about like build on the rock. So we, yep. we achieved that goal. We sell a lot of tombstones, but then we found that people didn't realize like we do fixturing integrations, we do design and build. So now I'm shifting that vision to be like, okay, how, what do you want to build on that tombstone? Yeah, there you go. And, and I know like as another example for Jim – you know, his company, they're, they're a mill shop, you know, and that's all they do is milling. But he, you know, he's also thought about like, you know, do I get into turning work as well? Sure. And I know for us, you know, our vision for the, for the future is that we primarily want to be involved in vending and integration. And we, our company though, was built as like a hardware shop, right? Well, we started as a, as a hardware store and that was our vision at the time. And then we moved into being more of an industrial supply company. And then we moved from there to be more specialists in metalworking and machining. And so now our vision of the future has changed and we've gotten to the point where we're like, it's time to lock the door, you know, and move to a new build, a bigger building. I think your point is once you define those visions, it, it, it kind of like creates the filter of what you say yes and no to. It brings clarity. Yep. And another thing that, that brings clarity, which is our, our number two point is, does it meet your core values? 
And I think that this is also a very important thing. And this is where, you know, like really, you know, your your ethics could collide with your core values and opportunities that that arise here. And so I've got a I've got a story, a very recent story as it relates to this. So we've been working on a really big opportunity. I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar opportunity for an integration with with a client that we've had for many, many years. And their current supplier was just not performing well. And we finally got the opportunity to get in there. And we knew that the current client had a lot of really deep relationships, but apparently, you know, they were poor, poorly performing enough that we were given this opportunity despite that. And I finally followed up with the account manager. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? I thought we were going to close on this by now. And what he explained to me was that I was like, you know, I was like, I know I just paid for a really nice dinner for you to, you know, take the management team out and stuff like that and really, you know, like close a deal. And and I have no problem with paying for dinner. I mean, we don't do it often for a nice client. You do it once a year, no big deal. But what he explained to me is that when he went out to dinner and the credit card expense that he was referring to, what was presented to him was that, okay, if we're going to move forward with this, this is how we're going to structure us being the guys that were there, that were part of the decision-making team. And this was not the owner. This is how we're going to be compensated. And he was basically told about their plan for payola. 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 And, you know, payola is actually is actually a term. I'm just going to read the definition. The practice of bribing someone to use their influence or position to promote a particular product or interest. So basically what they were, what my account manager was being told is that you're going to pay us off in order to get this business. And, you know, our core values are do the right thing or one of our core values is do the right thing. And very specifically, one of the pillars that our company is is built on is that we work for the owners of our clients. And that goes from me to the rest of my team. And to the extent that the leaders that we're, we're interacting with are on a daily basis are also working with the owners, we're also aligned with them. But when they're not aligned with the owners, that is not a relationship that we can sustain. And he was presented with an opportunity that we really wanted, but we had to say no to it. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. It's crazy how things were and how things are. Because you, you can't buy someone from Boeing a cup of coffee anymore. And that if it was kind of business as usual back in the day, figuring out how to get paid on some under the table stuff. Yeah. And, and this type of practice is still going on in my industry quite often. You'd be really surprised yeah. how often it happens. And we just don't participate in it. Sure. So that would be the second filter that I would put your opportunities through. And, and it doesn't have to be just an example of payola, you know, but it could be if your core values don't meet the opportunity, that that could be something that you need to say no to. It could be something where, you know, you're you're very much a, a company where one of your values is work-life balance. And if a particular opportunity is going to violate that core value, you need to think about that. Sure. Okay. So the third point about when to when to say no to an opportunity is that it doesn't have a measurable ROI. Do you know what ROI is, Nick? Return on investment. Very good. Yeah. yeah, you're not even a finance guy. And you knew what that was. It's just, you know, like school, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so it's ROI, you know, it's like FYI or... I know, I just play It's, it's got to be one of the You main. just always talk about like whenever, you know, there's a finance question related to making chips, you're like, oh, Jason, you know, you're the finance guy. And it's like, well, I'm not a finance guy, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the three of us. Out of the three of us, I guess I am. Yeah. So it must have a measurable ROI for you to say yes to the opportunity. And that doesn't mean that you need to, you know, put together this extensive spreadsheet and... You know, you need to use, you know, you need to hire like a fractional CFO to help you with it and stuff like that. It could be something that you're very much just right on the back of a napkin, but make sure you that you have an ROI for the opportunity before you say yes. Yeah. And I think if you 
if you do this the wrong way, you can be short-sighted and you can get, you can either be short-sighted or you can do like the analysis paralysis where you go too far and trying to figure out all the details of the ROI. And there's some aspects of value that aren't cash related. They're not money related. Oh, so, yeah. so maybe there's not a return on time investment. Or, you know, we, we've talked about opportunities at making chips where, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, we have sponsors for it. And there's some things that we do where we're like, yeah, they don't really want to sponsor it and it's not worth our time. So we're not going to do it. But in other cases, they're like, well, this actually sounds like we could really learn a lot from this experience. It's something we all want to go to. And so, yeah, maybe there's not like a monetary ROI, but there's value to the three of us. Yeah, I, I have another example, a story. So I was working on a acquisition of a competitive cutting tool supply company, and there wasn't really an ROI on the actual transaction itself. Like I wasn't going to really make a lot of money off of this acquisition, but what I was going to do is that I was going to acquire a team that was going to be great for my company. And in particular, one of the people that were going to come along with it was going to relieve me from a lot of the duties that I did. So essentially, the the acquisition was going to pay for the majority of the payroll for somebody that was going to relieve me with a lot of my responsibility. And from my standpoint, there was a return on my time associated right, with that. Right. Yeah. So, th- so there is ways to quantify ROI outside of just the spreadsheet. Absolutely. Okay. And the fourth and final point for when to say no to an opportunity, and this is something that you suggested, is it's not the best option for your client. Yeah. So we're a design and build company. A lot of stuff we do is not like an off-the-shelf item. Yeah, it's engineered. And so, and there's a lot of collaboration between our engineers and the client and the customer engineer. And sometimes they maybe want us to build something and we know it's not going to work. In some cases, we have to just be like, I don't want to build this thing that's going to break. And But they're like, oh, can you just make it this way? It's like, well, we can, but we just... We're not going to. Yeah. And, and Jim talks about this once in a while. I think he calls it like designed for manufacturing. Right. And, right. you know, th- so there's a lot of time when there's, you know, tolerance call outs where you need to have a conversation with the customer and say, do you really need that tolerance because it's going to cost you? Yeah. That it's, much a, it's more. a weight reduction cavity. Why right. Does I have to have a five tenths tolerance. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and there, and there could be, you know, we deal with a lot of, you know, custom tooling and there's a lot of situations where the customer is going to suggest, like, I want you to make this special form tool. And we're like, well, we think we can accomplish it with just some standards. So how about we go that direction? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. So those are the four points. The first one is it doesn't fit with your vision for the future. The second one is it doesn't meet your core values. The third is it doesn't have a measurable ROI. And the fourth is it's not the best option for your clients. So as you're presented opportunities, as things really start to to heat up, hopefully you're being presented with enough opportunities that you can say no to them. And these are four great filters to put those opportunities through. There's a lot of power in the word no. There is a lot of power in no. And I think in order to you know just really have that healthy work-life balance and have that sustained greatness and make sure that your your contentment in life and your happiness with what you actually have is in check, you need to be able to say no. Because if you say yes to everything, you won't be making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. 
Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com. Five, four, three, two, one. No, that didn't excite me. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> it's like I ran out of bandwidth. I know. <laughs> exactly. You need to get me. You gotta get me jazzed up. Five, four, three, two, one. That was a little too much.